you are now entering the world of a movie review. A world full of drama, joy, ridicule, movie spoilers, unpopular opinions, and adult humor for as far as the eye can see. Welcome to an evening at the movies. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to everybody's favorite movie-based podcast. This is an evening at the movies, the podcast where we eat the stale popcorn, we drink the watered-down sodas, and we talk about all of our favorite movies and why we love them, sometimes why we don't love them. But I digress. Um, we are here today as, well, I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid right off and just make this announcement as well. We are here. To, this is the season nine premiere of An Evening at the Movies. And with that said, because it is the season nine premiere of An Evening at the Movies, we officially, as of this episode, have 180 episodes released and ready to go. So, 200th episode special coming up in 20 episodes. Not sure what the hell we're going to do for it, but we'll plan on something. So, um, as always, well, not as always, but more often than not, because he's just that kind of wild and crazy guy, we are joined by everybody's favorite maniacal musical musicationer, Mr. Chancey Grive. Welcome back, Chance. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it when do that uh, it's Just kind of become its own thing now it, it really has and not that i'm complaining by any stretch of the imagination because you know you get this it's kind of a stark contrast to you know you have other guests that come on not shaming them not shaming you by any stretch it's you know it's nice to have the best of both worlds but some people when and I can be one of them when I guest on other people's podcasts too. So, but they introduce themselves and they're like, "Well, this is me, and this is what I do," and blah blah blah. And they go on for like ten minutes, and it's like, <laughs> "Yeah, I can understand that." Probably, probably will be editing that out before the episode airs, just because I don't yeah, well. want to come across and be rude and insensitive to future guests but definitely just a plain and simple hi everybody knows chancy everybody knows what chancy does so this is true it's not like we need to go too in depth into it but i mean i guess just in case we happen to pick up some new listeners along the way would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and let them know what you do and what you're all about. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm a Gemini. I like laying in bed and watching movies. Cause if I say long walks on the beach, those who know me are going to know that I'm lying my ass off. <laughs> uh, actually I'm a co-host on you. Go ahead. You don't strike me as somebody who likes to go walking anywhere, let alone on the beach. I mean, I'll go walking, but it's gotta be like, it's gotta be the right kind of day. I have to be inclined to do it. Or motivated by fear, you know, it's just shit like that, you know. <laughs> you got me. Not going. I. I'm not going down that road. If 
you want to know what the laugh is about, you're going to have to watch the YouTube video when it releases. Ha ha. Otherwise, you're not you going to go. It's going to be one big mystery. So You don't want to go down that route. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just, I'm one half of the Maniacal Music Musings podcast where myself and Jeremy and a guest will all three bring an album and listen and review and do top fives for each album. And then most of the time it's me going on tirades because I desperately am in need of a support group for the whole no taste having thing that my co-host has. It's, it's, a uh, it's become its own little separate thing except and you know aside from my intro it's kind of a fun little giddy well i mean that the chancy meltdown is what everybody comes to any of the shows that you're on for because they're so entertaining and they're so freaking hilarious i'm glad because most of the time i feel like an idiot when i'm done Well, I mean, for those of you who may not have listened to, I believe it was Chancey's first episode on An Evening at the Movies a year ago, almost to the day, um, I highly recommend you go back to October of last year and listen to at least the beginning of his Texas Chainsaw Massacre introduction. Mind you... You're not going to get the whole shebang in that introduction. You'll get like the 15th or 16th take at the introduction. <laughs> one screw up after another screw up after another screw up. And it's like, oh my God, it was freaking hilarious. Highly recommend you check that out if you have not already checked that out. That was yeah, that was good. I'm glad you actually saved that audio because that that's that's really funny stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna lie, my hard drive on my laptop is a hoarder's freaking nightmare. I think I've got all 179 episodes on. Hey, I mean, my hard drive at some point. It's always now, good to have. I guess, I guess here in about an hour, hour and a half, I'll have 180 because I'll have this episode as well. Yup. So, all right. So, with all of that said, we are here to obviously discuss a movie. I have not said what the movie is we're going to discuss, but <laughs> I'm going to mute myself and I'm going to turn over the reins to Mr. Chancy Pants and let him do what he does because that's what he does. So, Chance, the floor is all yours, dude. On the afternoon of November 5th, 2023, two friends traveled further into the strangest and most macabre chapter of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. Regardless of what you've been told, not everything about this movie would be considered. All right, all right, all right. Secret societies and low flying <laughs> motherfucker, you unmuted. <laughs> oh, god, oh, I wasn't ready. I heard you talking and it made me break. I was like, Hold it together, man. Oh, 
Okay, I'll try it again. I probably could have done better anyway. No, you're good. You're good. I could have done really. I really could have done better anyway. From the top, action. On the afternoon of November 5th, 2023, two friends traveled further into the strangest and most macabre chapter of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series. Regardless of what you've been told, not everything about this movie could be considered all right, all right, all right. Even so, secret societies and low-flying aircraft couldn't keep us away from reviewing this film. Mental breakdowns and exploding implants are in order as we unpack this guilty pleasure more commonly known as the next generation. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Second time, even better than the first time. Yeah, I was like, I was like, God, I could do that voice. I could do that voice better. I could do the voice better. But yeah, that was a single run through. Like I just did that like one time last night while I was watching the movie, and I was just like, you know, that's that's not bad. I don't think I should fuck with that because that's that's actually not terrible. It's not. You do a good job with every one of your introductions. I try. I try. It's a very fine line. I don't want to make it too over the top and satirical. But then at the same time, sometimes that's required. Like for TCM2, it had to be because it's really just the most over-the-top version and just straight-in-your-face satire. Yeah, no, I get that 100%. Flip back to my notes. Yes, sir. Let's do this thing. Dude has... Dude has like seven and a half pages of notes, people. <laughs> one and one and a third, but you know it's close. <laughs> one and a half, seven and a half. It's this one's actually, um, this one's actually, it's actually tied for number two as my favorite of the series. Obviously, I'm assuming seventy-four is. A league of its own. It's a league of its own. A 70, 74 is on its own. Like it's like that goes without saying that that's just epic awesomeness. But I also I saw the second one before I saw the first one. So it was kind of one of those things where like I loved the second one the moment that I saw it. And then going back and watching the first one, it almost put me off of the first one because I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is, this doesn't make any sense. How did we go from here to here? And then I watched it again and I was like, you know, those people back in the seventies probably fucking shit down both legs when this thing came out. So I guess it makes sense. Yeah. And then there's this one. Yeah, I've seen reactions and I've read reactions that people have had to this one in particular. And it's very black and white, for lack of a better metaphor. There's no middle ground when it comes. You either love this movie or you hate this movie. I'm not 100% sure exactly which side of the fence I fall in just on just yet. But 
I guarantee you by the end of the hour, we're going to dig deep enough into this movie that I will have a definitive answer for you on do I like it or do I hate it? So, with Word. all of that said, uh, just the background information, obviously, like we always do, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation, released on March 12th, 1995, at the South by Southwest Film Festival. Otherwise, it released on September 22nd, 1995 in the U.S. Um, it was directed by Kim Henkel. It was released by Columbia TriStar. It had a budget of $600,000. Clearly obvious that they didn't need all that 600000 Just saying. It had a box office, though. Of, would you like to wager a guess? I don't know. Maybe like two to five. One, eight, five, comma, eight, nine, eight thousand dollars. One hundred and eighty-five thousand dollars. Holy fucking Almost. fuck. Yeah. It did not do well at the box office. I remember it not doing well at the at the box office. I just didn't realize it did that fucking poorly at the box office. <laughs> yeah, it didn't even make a third of its budget back. Almost, but not even a third. Hey, that's the fucking studio's fault. If you ask me, that's the fucking studio's fault. That, in all honesty. I vaguely remember, too, that this movie was kind of sort of in a whole lot of limbo once they finished filming and it was ready to go. Yep. To the point that it actually had multiple obvious release dates. And at one point, I even thought I may have heard somewhere, and I could be wrong, that this actually got re-released again after A Time to Kill came out? It might have. I, I don't recall that, but it may have. I mean, that makes sense. Well, I mean... I would have obviously, if I was in... Yeah, for sure. To lose $415,000 at the box office if you happen to stumble onto a juggernaut like A Time to Kill and that being I mean obviously Dazed and Confused was out there as well at the time but yeah, A Time to Kill truly probably was Matthew McConaughey's big bust out starring role so, yeah. so if, you could, if you could capitalize on that and do a re-release right after that came out it might right. help you get some of those box office dollars back. Yeah, recoup that recoup that budget. Yeah. So, if you haven't looked yet, would you like to wager a guess as to what Rotten Tomatoes has this rated at? Oh, I fucking couldn't even imagine. It's probably like 12%. <laughs> some kind of garbage like so that. So close. Oh, damn really? Close. Oh shit! That's the closest I've come so far. 
You oh, are yeah? off by four percent. Which direction? percent. Oh, nice, nice. I was a little worried there for a second. You undershot the high bar just a little bit there, Chance. It actually yeah, has a Rotten Tomato score of sixteen percent, which. Even with me being on the fence as to whether I like or don't like the movie, I still think 16% might be a little bit low for this movie. I agree. And because this one feels like a cult classic. Oh, it definitely does. 100%. And it feels like one of those if you're a hardcore Texas Chainsaw fan, that you could have some appreciation for this movie. Yeah. So. Um, and last but not least, um, it's not available to stream anywhere no. unless you want to rent no. or buy it. Yeah, you can <laughs> rent it for three dollars and ninety nine cents wherever you get your online rental preferences from, or you can buy it I, for twelve ninety nine. I would actually recommend buying a copy on blue a Blu ray that comes with the director's cut because. That's definitely going to yeah. enhance your movie-going experience, really. Or movie viewing well, experience, I should say. We're going to get into that here really, really quickly because there's some stuff that goes on in the theatrical cut that may or may not get explained better in the director's cut. Yeah. yeah. And definitely, I'm glad... That I'm not doing this on my own or with anybody else and that Chansey is here to help explain this to me so that hopefully I have a better understanding as to what the hell was going on on my TV for about an hour and 25 <laughs> minutes last night. Do, 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 do. So, I... Uh, uh, uh. I okay, so the very first question I have for you and this is kind of sort of a silly off-the-wall question, but Okay, you know the asshole boyfriend Barry in the movie, right? Oh, I fuck yeah, yeah. Everybody does, yeah, for sure. Um, my question about him: How many fucking jobs does his dad have? Right? Is it a doctor? Is it a lawyer? Is he the butcher? Is he the baker? The candlestick maker. I was going there. So, <laughs> the reason I posed the question and. Chancey got to it with, you know, the beginning of his statement, too, as well. So you have this asshole-ish boyfriend who is literally like every other red-blooded male teenager in America, and he's horny as fuck. But he makes the argument to his prom date, I believe it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was his girlfriend. Yeah, but yeah, prom date. Yep. Either way, well, I mean, he was technically cheating on her at the prom, too. So. Yep, sure was. But they were only kissing, and they only kissed one time, so it's not like he was cheating. Oh, and by the way... I can't even talk you know, to my friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fucking and gaslighting motherfucker. It's like, I need to have sex. If I don't have sex, you know... I'll have all this built-up frustration, and it'll cause prostate cancer. My dad's a doctor; he told me so. Right. And then you get later in the movie where he's literally being, you know, coerced with a shotgun into coerced. the house. 
And he fucking tells wasn't it W.E. that he was talking yep. to at the time? Yep, W.E. He's like, if I go in this house that's kidnapping, my dad's lawyer, he told me so. It's like, well, okay. how many dads do you have or how many jobs does your one dad have? Because if he's a lawyer that, and a doctor, I, I would imagine his student loan bill is astronomical. I would doubt that if he's actually both, he's probably in some. T- Honestly, it, there there is a, that could be a that that's something I didn't really think about until just now. He could have gone med school, law school to do something in like the pharmaceutical industry as like a legal something or other, and then have the medical know how to be able to navigate law. But since Barry's a heaping piece of shit, I'm guessing broken home. So, and not to say that people from a broken home are pieces of shit, but this guy, he was a piece of shit, flat out. Oh, well, I mean, if you're going to self-report, I mean, I'm not going to stop you, but. (laughs) Literally, literally like the whole, not to change the subject really quick, but well, again. Yeah, no, you're good. (laughs) But, dude, seriously, the guy threatens to kick. I believe it was his girlfriend's ass if anything happens to the car. Right. Because it's his dad's. Yeah. So um, I don't care what kind of a douchebag you are. If you threaten to kick a girl's ass, then you need to have your ass kicked. Yep. Which, um, spoiler alert, may or may not happen later in the movie. (laughs) Um, I mean, and to go back down that road too, I mean, he literally gets caught by his prom date slash girlfriend outside of the prom, making out with the girl who's not her, and then literally plays it off. It was just one time we only kissed, tried to play the whole freaking, you know, I need to have sex, otherwise I'm going to get prostate cancer. Right. I'm, come on. I mean. Anything that could happen to this dude in this movie, motherfucker probably deserved it at least 10 times over. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with that at all. Not going to disagree with that in the slightest. He's fucking, he is a heaping piece of shit. You are really rooting for this guy to fucking die, especially at the point when he's like, someone please kill me. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, he's going to die. That's awesome. Like, fucking. Literally, we've been waiting for this moment since, like, oh. Two minutes into the freaking movie, dude. Yeah. It, it don't happen until like halfway into the damn movie. So you got a good 45 minutes of waiting before yep. you finally get, you know, it's like, get the get God. Yeah, dude. I mean, even his. I'm trying to remember if he goes before his. He does. He dies before. He dies before Heather does. Dude, that girl's the so, fucking he, that girl is the fucking abuse energizer bunny. <laughs> that, I don't mean I don't mean to laugh. I can't help okay. it though. So I'm actually going to jump ahead in my order of questions and go with um, my favorite, you know, post have the discussion about our favorite moment of the movie. Okay. Because truth be told, Heather Heather is yeah. one of probably my my three top favorite moments in this movie. I feel like she was a better final girl 
possibly than even Renee was. That girl okay. went through hell in a hand bath. I mean, you look at her getting drugged into the freaking house the way she's getting ragdolled all over the freaking place. Um, all the abuse that she goes through, getting hung on a freaking meat hook, you know, through the back. Yep. I mean, can worms open all over the freaking place. I mean, she's literally. <laughs> I'm not going to say Renee didn't go through hell as the quote unquote final girl of the movie. Right. I think Heather went through a hell of a lot more terror than freaking Renee did in that movie. So now we get the first opportunity where I go, where I get to be like, okay, well, the director's cut. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah, so in the director's cut of the film, at the very beginning of the movie, Renee Zellweger is getting ready for prom, and her stepdad comes in and does stepdad creeper activity, like, above and beyond normal yeah. film stepdad creeper shit. And he fucking, like, even to the point where it's like, Either way, you know, your mom's not going to believe you. So either way, you fucking lose. Like, it's fucking epic. So you you really understand right out the gate that she comes from a very, very broken home. Like, ultra yeah, mega I, broken. As creepy as that would be, I really wish that had not made the cutting room floor because that really explains a lot about her character in those early right probably 20 to 30 minutes because okay so spoiler alert i'm going to bring up a point that i have down for my review but i felt watching the theatrical cut which obviously portions are going to get cut out and it could could or could not affect the story whatever way obviously it does at this point because something big for Renee's character got hit the cutting room floor. And I feel like if I'd had that information in the beginning, I might've been a little bit more sympathetic and a little bit less harsh as to my feelings on her because in the, I feel like she grew as a sympathetic character throughout the movie. I didn't necessarily have, a whole hell of a lot of sympathy for her in that first what 20 minutes 30 minutes or so she just seemed like she was kind of sort of a yeah whatever you know, happy to be there wallflower the yeah like hopefully the girl in the front seat driving the car is the final girl and not you because i really could give two shits about you right now yeah i couldn't agree more uh, about that because like yeah. go ahead yeah, yeah yeah go ahead well, no, I'm just going to say that, you know, there is stuff that happens as the shit st slowly starts to, you know, as the shit creek starts to rise. <laughs> so, I mean, that's almost a perfect metaphor for this movie, considering. It is, it is like a fucking cesspool of trauma. Yeah, I, it, yeah, but. Definitely, there's a whole lot of growth for her character in the theatrical release that 
Yeah. I feel like if they if they'd given you all the pertinent information, it probably would have helped with. Yeah. Though, like in the yeah, theatrical version, saying... it feel it, her her growth just kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere for some reason. There's no there's no germinating seed for that growth. There's just she goes through some shit. All of a sudden, she's a badass. It's like this doesn't make any fucking sense. Well, because even like the whole like she's very whiny and and. Not a whole hell of a lot of charisma. You know, it's kind of all kind of monotonous, monotone. Yeah. Yeah. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, literally like the light switch flips, and all of a sudden she's like fucking. I mean, not necessarily a hundred percent like Linda Hamilton in the Terminator, but you know, she becomes the badass that ultimately continues to fight and scratch and claw and ultimately ends up riding off into the sunset at the end of the movie. Yeah. Even if she is fucking riding off to fucking Illuminati. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. Yeah, that was a... That that was the you know you were talking about Barry. That was actually one of my. Uh, it was actually my second line. My first line was the final girl has a troubled home life. And then we definitely hit that one, and then the second line is Barry needs to get got. <laughs> He's just such a fucking aching piece of shit. I feel like we've done a good job at nailing both of those right out the freaking gate. Also, um, if you're paying, if you pay attention to the to the series as as a whole, this film is actually the first in the series that really follows the uh, the stereotypical tropes. Because in the first one, it's kind of documentary based. There's no the the only real person that you could say you really want to that you really hate or maybe want to see die is Franklin. But then you're an asshole because you want to see a cripple die. So. <laughs> So I mean, there's that, but this well, one has. I. That, that, I mean, I'm not gonna. Franklin fucking deserves it, though. Let's be honest. I mean, anybody who's seen the original movie knows good and hell well. Well, yeah, Franklin. Franklin was that is probably annoying. He was one of the, probably. I would wager to bet one of the most annoying slasher movie characters of all time. Um, Just saying. I don't know, man. It's a pretty close call. I don't remember which Friday the 13th it was, but one of those guys that fucking did the air computer with the bullshit dumbass nonsense, he was kind of annoying. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there was some annoyance throughout the whole Friday the 13th series, only because there was a lot of people in each of those mo- in each one of those movies. So if you're going to have that many people in each of the movies, you kind of sort of have to come up with a whole lot of different characteristics. Otherwise it's literally going to feel very quickly like it's the same shit over and over and over, which it did get to that point at some point. 
but oh yeah, not as fast as it could have if you're just carbon copying the same characters over and over again. For sure, and uh, yeah, but in, in, like if you if you look at it from that ten thousand foot view, this one is actually like where it's blatantly obvious we have the the douchey asshole that everyone wants to see die, and the super nerdy smart girl, which is what the theatrical version wants you to think that Renee Zellweger is, that has no real, you know, self, uh, uh, what is it? Self, what is it? Self-saving characteristics, self, you know, not, yeah, self, uh, whatever, preservation. Yeah. Well, yeah. And preservation, redeeming, anything like that. And then Heather, Heather's the, uh, She's the trope for the quote-unquote promiscuous girl, but at the same time, she ain't putting out. But that don't matter. She's supposed to play the trope. But it's, uh, yeah. like I said, it's really the first one that has all of those bundled up in a car together going down the long, hard road into hell. Not the last one, though. Not the last one, though. No, and... Uh, we get more of that coming up. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. The uh, how much further down the line that it may pop up in a remake or two? Oh, at least one or two. Semi... Well, you can say there's... I think there's technically only really one remake anyway, so... Yeah, you're right. Everything else is you're right. kind of sort of sequelized because beginning is technically just a precursor and then Leatherface is the precursor to the precursor. Yeah, that's right. That's true. It really, be, it really becomes like Halloween where you have all these muddy freaking plot lines that dance puppets. Right, and you have to try and figure out, you know, exact because they're really. It, I mean, as a fan, you could literally cut and copy different parts or different movies out of the order and really create your own freaking Sawyer family, Hewitt family, yeah, storyline, yeah. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I kind of sort of... I mean, that's probably one of my main favorite things about the Halloween franchise is you know, depending upon what your personal wants and needs are from a story, you know, you're more than welcome to go down the Bloodline storyline. You're welcome to, you know, venture off into the Cult of the Thorn. I I, I liked I I, I like that storyline myself. I thought it was really interesting. I'm I'm okay with it. I did. I go back and forth on the part six. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep for I, yeah. I keep forgetting that, but that producer's cut though. <laughs> 
I'm I see that's the problem. Like I think that's part of the that's part of the reason why I kind of come in handy for stuff like this because I'm always like I'm always like ankle deep into the weird shit, and then like I go and find like the altar cuts, and it's like oh, but then there's this, but that's not really canon because it didn't get theatrically re- released. It's like shit, and it's a pain in the ass <laughs> to try and find too as well. Eh, now with with and Amazon, did, it's it's did, got a lot easier. And didn't you say that the producer's cut is on Prime? I've heard that it is. Yes. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, eventually we will get down that road and we will discuss that portion of the Halloween franchise. But we're discussing Halloween yeah. today. We're going down a rabbit hole and talking Halloween right now. But back on track. So, um, do you have a least favorite part or aspect of the movie as far as moments go? I have one in particular, and I'm go ahead with yours. This is the. You kind of sort of know where I'm going with this one, and this is where I'm going to hope that you can explain something to me a little bit better than the movie explained it to me, because, uh, yeah. So, this movie has an aspect of the movie where part of the bad guy element, I guess, would be, like, the Illuminati slash a secret society. And yep. to me personally, with the information that I was presented, because you don't get a whole lot of it until literally bam, right in that last, what, 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah. 15 so minutes. Half hour. Out of, it, so yeah, it kind of, it really comes out of nowhere. And it's like, something that you totally would not expect for this type of a movie with this right. type of storyline. Yep. So it was kind of like, yeah, and then they don't necessarily explain it very well in my version. Right. And I'm hoping that you have information to help. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By the picture yep. a little bit more. For so sure. And point, actually, that's my, that's my. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm just going to say, I'm opening the floodgates right now. Help me understand the Illuminati meets Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So that's actually my least favorite moment of the theatrical version as well. Because you get no, you get, you get no stake. It's just all fucking, it's like, what the fuck is this? Like, what, what, what? When the fuck did we get ice cream? Like, in the director's cut, And this is also kind of an interesting thing, which is why I always recommend the director's cut for this film for this reason. There's at least, I know there's one in the theatrical cut, but there's two, possibly maybe even three, but definitely two for sure. um, Where, oh hell, I don't remember what her name is. The, uh, the crazy, the, the crazy girl, the the realtor, the one the the one that's oh, yeah, always the showing her boobs. boobs. 
Yeah. So she actually goes uh, and tells her. <laughs> she actually brings that up. And also, before I actually go further into that, this movie is actually one of the first ones that doesn't have the family cannibalizing people. Because she went no, and got pizza. They eat pizza to take out. They make. They, yeah. That threw me off too because it's like, no, the family is supposed to be cannibals. Why are they eating the pizza? And that also semi ties in with the Illuminati thing. So the way that it's explained in a very rough, rough cut version is, you know, I don't remember what that lady's name is, so we'll just call her lady. So the lady is explaining to Renee uh, Zellweger. Big boobs, McGee. I think her name is Jenny or fucking something like that in the movie. But she explains to her that Velmer, who is Matthew McConaughey, um, works for these people and that the secret society people and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And... You know, she doesn't really understand it, but this is the story behind it. Here's what's going on. You got to do this. Don't do that. And then there's the secondary part, which is actually in the theatrical version, where she explains that she can't help Renee Zellweger out because she's got an explosive implant in her head. And that's kind of done for a couple of reasons. One, you kind of want it to be, okay, well, these are just the ravings of a mentally deranged person. So you take it with a grain of salt, and then the fucking limo pulls up. But when you get all those extra little, like, because there's not really much extra tidbits, but you get that extra bit of exposure where you got the conversation that they have in the bathroom while they're getting ready, and she's putting, you know, getting her, getting her dolled up and getting her dressed up and whatnot. And then in the actual, uh, dinner scene if you will um it that's when it further kind of breaks down into what you see in the theatrical version where you're really supposed to doubt the validity of the claim and then also even when the illuminati guy shows up you're still supposed to kind of be like okay so is this really a thing or is this just some dude that was crazy enough to talk his way into making these people believe that he's actually affiliated with some secret organization. There's never any real reveal to it. It's almost kind of like frailty minus the big aha moment at the end where it's like, oh yeah, they are being you know protected or whatever. Uh-huh. But yeah, that's kind of the thing. Uh-huh. It, um but that's really the thing. That's kind of the point is they want you to doubt that. They want you to be like, what's going on here? Is this, is this real? Is this just some, you know, crazy lady making up some kind of cockamamie story to, you know, keep her in line and, you know, get the attention directed off of her? Because there's at least one time where old Velmer damn near... Snap, snap, crackle, pops that girl's neck while she's all laid up on the ground with his robo leg. And funnily enough, Matthew McConaughey wasn't even supposed to play Velmer. Like he was going to move to L.A. and was like they're seeing somebody on set and they're like, yeah, you know, just try out for this. This is what we're going to do. And 
We're getting everything pre, you know, pre-production, getting everything set up. Read it, and then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, this is a good idea. Here's what we got, and he read for it. And it's, I honestly, I couldn't agree with you more that if you know Matthew McConaughey hadn't have been in that film, then it would have been a hot garbage fucking feature. Yeah, even I mean, even with Renee. So, um, I mean, to fill out the story and my thought process behind that, it both Renee and Matt both, if not the same year, probably graduated from the University of Texas at the same time. Grew up yeah. in the state of Texas. Are both Lone Star for life. Yeah, for right. sure. Yeah, no, absolutely no disrespect to Renee. No cheap shots taken, but Matthew definitely has a lot more of a Texan feel to him than she does. So yeah, I mean, uh, I could see that, but you also get a taste of her Texas accent a little bit in that movie, which is kind of cool. Yeah, which she, through a long storied Hollywood career, has slowly learned learned to you know minimize. But I still feel in my heart that Matthew definitely has a more um, Texas swag to him. Yeah, yeah. And if you're gonna find somebody from outside of the state of Texas to play a Texan it's got to be the right person where if you just plug anybody in you know okay you need to do a Texas accent you need to do this you need to do that at times it can sound hokey and fake where because you have somebody like Matthew it doesn't necessarily come across as being Okay and fake. <coughs> yeah, like from the moment from the moment that uh, Matthew McConaughey comes into the film, it's just straight up zero to ten. Like I love the fact that they don't even bother really giving any backstory or any kind of anything to Renee Zellweger's boyfriend in the film. Just because he just sears, you're a useless fucking body. You are gonna die, die with some fucking dignity. <laughs> and he doesn't even do that. I love that, you know, because they get in that car wreck. That kid's passed out. Renee's boyfriend's looking over the guy. McConaughey pulls up, fucking just snaps that kid's fucking neck. <laughs> he's like, "Nah, he's dead." He's like, "He was talking in his sleep." Snap. Well, he's dead now. <laughs> And then he fucking chases him down in the fucking tow truck and then just runs him over, you know, back and forth, just to make sure. Just to make sure. You better run. Gotta be quicker than that. <laughs> fucking. Oh, Jesus Christ. He. Wow. I mean, I really honestly feel like they hit pay dirt when they found him and put him in this movie. Again, it'll get talked about when we get to my review, too. But, I mean, he really came out and 
guns a blazing, stole the damn movie. So, um, so kind of sort of off topic, but um, one that I've heard people discuss, and I, you and I may have discussed it before. I don't remember. I know it's been brought up. At, one point on this show, I don't remember if it was with you or I, or if it was me and Amanda, or what the case may be. But um, I've heard some people say that um, you aren't really a true actor until you've done a horror movie. I think we, uh, I, we've had a similar type conversation. I think our version of that conversation was that. Most of the people that we know of with name, like you know, na- household names, get their start through a a horror film. Yeah, we've definitely had that version of that conversation. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, and the way I'm th- when I'm thinking about this question is, you have actors. Slash actresses like say Matthew, obviously, you definitely get. I mean, this is definitely that twisted type of character that could potentially lead to landing a role in a movie, say, like, oh, I don't know, Frailty, right? Potentially, not necessarily saying it does, but. You know, then at the same time, you also look at other actors who have basically debuted, for lack of a better term, in a horror movie. Like Paul Rudd, Jamie Lee Curtis, Paul Rudd, Jamie Lee Curtis, Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, I mean, Viggo Mortensen would, didn't have his first movie in a horror movie, but he didn't take off until like The Prophecy, TCM3. Exactly. Um, you could almost make the same argument or even somebody like Nev Campbell, who, again, didn't necessarily debut in Scream. Yep. But Scream opened another door to her acting career. Yep. That Party of Five was not necessarily kicking the door in for. Right. No offense to Party of Five and their fans, but, you know, there is that. I'll take up that position. That fucking show sucked. <laughs> Not shaming anybody by any stretch of the imagination. Nope, no shame. I'm just saying it sucked. <laughs> you know, I what I, I the one the one gripe I always had about it is like they're on this back Texas road walking back after the car wreck and they meet up with old Tits McGee and that vehicle goes by. And Heather and Barry just fucking beeline running down this dark driveway. What the fuck? Fucking fucking white people shit, dude. Like, what the fuck are you doing? That's dumb as hell. You're like, like you like they deserve to die, which also leads me to I have to say that for this movie. This is probably like outside of the first movie, I'd say this is probably my favorite Leatherface reveal. Outside of obviously a number one, obviously, but the way that it's done with this, it's it's 
like everybody who's a fan already knows what's going on and who the who it is and all this stuff, but that excessive vulnerability it it really shines through and then the 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 stages the uh the the skin suit arc if you will where he starts off with his normal you know everyday working attire and then the grandma attire and then the you know dinnerware attire if you will which funnily enough the face and chest uh for that skin suit belongs to the uh i I don't know if it's like a prop master or art director but whatever her role was specifically whether it was prop master or art or art director she that she did the the casting for leatherface's face and chest for the for the dinnerware scene Oh, leave it to Chancey to come up with the fun facts that I had no freaking clue about. And, you know, hopping back and forth, as I've been known to do, when Matthew McConaughey runs over Renee Zellweger, I think his name is Sean, actually. When when Renee, when when, when uh, Velma runs yeah. over Sean, I love the fact that he puts the tape into the tape deck for stocking tunes. And he's just so flippant, like like a like a cat playing with a mouse, just you know, like you know. And he's like, the guy's like, please, sir, just tell me what I gotta do. He's like, I mean, I guess you could just say your shit out of luck and fucking <laughs> he just runs over. Oh, we gotta do it one more time. I think he's still kicking. <laughs> Oh shit! Speaking of oh, Weaver, like, there... go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm just gonna say, some of the freaking dialogue in this freaking movie is just spot on, fucking hilarious. Oh, for <laughs> sure, for sure. Uh, you know, speaking of wheels, dude, Renee Zellweger. Do you see those scenes when she takes off running? She's got fucking wheels, man. She was gone. Just fucking high knees, eyes over the thighs. Let's fucking go. Right? I mean, when she gets going, she freaking like a bullet out of a freaking gun. It's like freaking all of a sudden Leatherface standing out there in the middle of nowhere like the hell did you go? Right? Shoot! Do you see that? Run, Renee, run! Some booger just chased through here. What kind of a booger? Big crazy booger! <laughs> <laughs> also, ah. since since we, since we mentioned the pizza, did you notice that they picked up a vegetarian pizza? One of the three pizzas was a vegetarian pizza. <laughs> did not notice that. And yeah. Yeah. Serious, seriously, you have a family <laughs> of cannibals. One, it's weird that they're going to be sitting around the table having a family dinner and eating pizza. Two, one of those pizzas is a freaking vegetarian pizza. 
Come on. Yep. That's that's why I thought that was awesome. I was just like, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> you know, maybe they were just gonna garnish it. Maybe they were gonna garnish it with some people meat when they brought it home. Who knows? God only knows those freaking wackadoos, but you know, it is what it is. So, how are you going then on you, your list of notes that you need to make sure you bring? Almost up? to the, almost to the bottom of the first page. I was gonna say, uh, yeah. you know, as far as one of my favorite, like, there's like probably a a a group of favorite parts I have. One of which is when um, Tits McGee is is uh, on her way to the house with Renee in the trunk and the pizzas and shit, and they come up on Heather crawling in the fucking down down the road and she just gets out and starts beat tapping her with a stick she's like stop please stop <laughs> she's barely hitting her it's just so fucking it pathetic hurt me. It, it hurt me. and then there was the callback the homage if you will to the very first movie when you know the fucking cook comes to the house look what your brother did to the door w ear i think is what his name is he comes he's like, look what your brother did to this door and <laughs> and then when they're all arguing the girl has the you know tits mcgee has a freak out you're embarrassing me in front of company <laughs> mind all the other shit and they yeah, set they set poor right. heather on fire yeah you say their whole evening has been one big chaotic moment but it's like oh shit this is what you're worried about right come on people i know i mean i know clearly these fools have some kind of warped sense of freaking right and wrong because and, if that's uh, what offends you about your whole night, then right, you, you need to do some self, you know, ins- re- you know, reflect self reflection. Yeah, you know what I was saying. I do. You were getting there. And also, if you have a keen eye, the chair that Grandpa's sitting in when he gets up and goes to walk away, it's from the first movie. Somebody had it, and they went and got it, and used it for the shot. Huh. I did not notice that either. By the way, I might be having a blonde moment. So, refresh my Is there a reason why they don't ever use the original house again? Um, I did not remember end of that movie they they did in like um they did in uh oh shit the one that's supposed to have taken place the day after where uh where uh oh my god i'm i'm i myself i'm having a complete lack of lapse of memory uh bill bill mosley bill mosley um the movie where it's supposed to take place the day after, oh. and then Bill Mosley plays the cook. Yeah. 
So they yeah. actually used the they used the 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 same old house for that one. But I think it might have been a situation where like whoever was living in the house just was like, I ain't doing this shit again. Y'all fucking made it smell like rotten meat for a whole summer. Get the fuck out of here. And I also think well, it worked yeah, as Go ahead. That was like one of the hottest summers on record, too, if I remember correctly. That too. Yeah, it was pretty hot for sure. But also, it also kind of works for the story as well because, I mean, you figure you're going to have to keep moving. You can't just be stationary doing that kind of shit and not expect to, you know. Yeah, I mean, at least if you're somebody like Freddy that inhabits the dream world. Right. You don't have to worry about the police now. You don't have to worry about the police knocking on your door as much. Exactly. Exactly. Where if you actually are Leatherface, Michael Myers, whatever, yeah, eventually police could technically come knocking on your door. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, another one of my favorites is the the clicker fight. They're like there towards just about the very end. I don't have, I'm an only child, so I don't have any siblings, but I know of siblings who are getting in fights with remote controllers all the time, you know? And it's literally like, it's like the boss level sibling clicker fight, the clicker fight to end all clicker fights. He's, he's just, his legs is going, beat you, beat you, beat you, beat you. Fucking Jesus Christ. No, I mean, because, yeah, I do have a brother, and he and I have had numerous fights, not necessarily over the clicker, per se, but other things as well. But, yeah, quintessential sibling rivalry will eventually pop its ugly head up at some point during your growing For sure. I, I almost would have liked to have seen you have a little brother chance just to see, you know, what you know, kind of horror stories there could be between your guys' sibling rivalry? I'm certain if I had any siblings, they wouldn't speak to me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure if I would have ended up having siblings, they would have definitely been like, yeah, we don't want to talk to that guy anymore. He is a wild and crazy guy. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, when I was younger, I was definitely a lot more um, mean. <laughs> Especially if it was like my little, like a little sibling, like a little brother. It had been, been over. It had been the worst. The worst. So, in other words, you're saying it would have been a whole lot like um, Shanna's relationship with her brother. Um, sort of, I suppose. Yeah. I mean... It would have been pretty brutal. Oh. I actually almost forgot. At the very end, with the old folks drinking the Bloody Marys, driving a fucking RV down the road, you know, when they're chasing him in that truck, Matthew McConaughey, they didn't even get a stunt driver. They just had Matthew McConaughey driving that truck, just blasting down the road. I mean, it's not like Matthew McConaughey was Matthew McConaughey at that point. I mean, obviously he was Matthew McConaughey, but his metaphorical Hollywood carbon footprint wasn't as everlasting as it is now. If 
you needed something like that nowadays in a movie with him, and he volunteered oh, yeah. to do it, the studio would shut that shit down in a heartbeat. Oh, instantaneously, for sure. And if the studio didn't do it, I guarantee you the insurance companies would. For sure. Absolutely. You know, actually, that thinking back on it, through both the like you know for my as far as my least favorite part of the movie theatrically would be the illuminati just arrival Boop, illuminati hey how you doing as far as the director's cut i'd say the thing that it really i'd say is the most or the least i would say um palatable part for me is like the fucking crop duster Guy just fucking shows up out of nowhere, does a low-flying pass, and just so happens to fucking just take out fucking Matthew McConaughey. Boop. Yeah. He could he couldn't have just done it. Yeah. Yeah, he couldn't have done a double double, you know, because he could have done that dive just a little bit earlier and clipped Leatherface and then clipped fucking, you know, Velmer, just do doop, and then off he goes. Yeah, it's almost like he's been training his whole life for this one moment and Oh my god, it finally presented itself. Here I can do this. It's like, here I come to save the day. Right? And then he's, and then he's off again, and it's like, okay. And then uh, the the dust settles, and then the, the limo's there, and then Leatherface is just kind of like, oh. oh, okay, well, okay, that means, I guess that means we're done. And then the guy's just like, do you want me to take you to a hospital or a cop shop? And then I did like how at the end, at the very end of the movie, when they're like taking her statement and all that stuff, there's this weird, like they push somebody by on a, on a stretcher and they're catatonic. And it almost kind of looks like Sally, uh, Hardesty. The, uh, the the last girl from the first picture it's not her but it, it looks like her and it almost is like you know leatherface yeah. was pushing her out it's like it's not who it is and it but it's really supposed to just imply that that's the case because they just walk out into the daylight yeah i mean they do i like when movies leave that kind of open interpretation like that though because it, yeah, it may not directly be what they're implying or they're trying to show you, but it's kind of like we're kind of sort of opening the door for you hardcore fans that have been here and supported yep. us that, you know, here's your moment, you know, if you want it, silver platter. If not, you know, no big deal. We'll take it back. Right. For sure. But yeah, that's that's actually those that's basically all my notes. So I'm I'm curious to find out what you think actually. So I feel like we can segue right into our ultimate review section of the show. Um and for lack of I mean we kind of sort of know what your impression is going to be, so if right. you don't mind, By all I means. will jump. I'll jump out there and put my neck on the chopping block first for this. Um, 
first time I hit play and started watching the movie, I was fully expecting this to be like 1.5, 1.75 out of 5. So I will say this. It definitely was not that bad at all. Um, the more I've sat here and listened to you talk and I've thrown in my two cents, you know, here and there, I kind of sort of have a better appreciation for the story. And I feel like, uh, what did I come up with for my point? <coughs> so I'm going to go ahead and go three out of five British speaking Illuminati bigwigs out of five. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the one guy had a very funky tone to his voice that did. It was weird, but um, uh, so fun fact about that yeah, that dude was that dude was actually doing Shakespeare. He was doing Shakespeare and like theater stuff in Texas at the time when they cast him for the role. That's that's why he's got the haircut that he's got, and it's also I mean he, I'm sure that the guy has a natural accent, but that also is part of why that's there as well. <laughs> it would make sense. It would explain a lot, honestly. It really would. Um, like I said earlier, um, McConaughey was a very pleasant surprise in this movie um, to the point that even with him being one of, if not the main character in the movie, um, I thought he was maniacal, perfectly maniacal, um, pleasantly psychotic. It was an enjoyable performance. I really thought he nailed it. Um, again, like I said earlier, I think Renee kind of sort of with the theatrical cut was kind of a slow burn to get mm -hmm. to a point where you could really get, get behind her and support her character again had they given you the whole story from the beginning yeah probably would have a whole hell of a lot different opinion of her but for sure you know considering that i'm not a very big renee zellweger fan to begin with the fact that i'm willing to give her any kind of love says a lot so definitely she helped. Um, I would put it probably for me in my top three favorite movies of the franchise. Yeah, that's cool. I feel like uh, I feel like my my personal number two might be getting talked about the next time you and I venture into the state of Texas. Word. If you're picking up what I'm putting down. Indeed. So. Indeed. Um, I will definitely save my thoughts on that one for that episode, though, because I feel like there's some epicness that's going to be involved with this. And I don't want to give anything away. I want everybody to come back for that episode because. I feel like we're going to 
probably have a good 90 minute long discussion about probably a certain aspect of the franchise. So, all right. So three out of five for me and definitely in my top third of the franchise. So would you like to officially give your rating for the movie, sir? Well, for me, you know, this one and the second one are, are tied for like my favorite aside from the original. Cause like I was saying, that's a whole other, that's a league of itself. But you know, if I was going to base my rating off of the theatrical version, I would probably say like three stars. It was not maybe even less two and a half, three stars, something to that effect. Cause it really was confusing, disappointing, all of that. But then going back and buying the director's cut, getting a bit more sped up with it, watching the behind the scenes stuff, the commentaries with the director and the writer who ironically enough was also the writer in the original one as well. And, uh, you know, all that stuff, I'd say that it was, this one would have to be, I can't, I can't in good conscience, give it a four out of five, but I, I would say that, you know, three, three and a half, three and three quarters stars would be solid for me. Well, I mean, you've been around and on the show enough. You, I don't know how many of the 180-some episodes now that you've actually listened to. I'm sure there's plenty that you have. You know kind of generally the general consensus is we tend to go three and a half to four and a half stars on our ratings. Right. But yep. it's, it, really ha- it really has to be a special kind of move. We were kind of five star whores the first six months of the show. So, which, you know, that's understandable. True. Um, but Amanda and I were also just getting our feet wet at the time. And, you know, it took getting to, you know, probably early to mid June before we realized, you know, People are going to get sick and tired of hearing us say five out of five every damn time. And truth be told, at the end of the day, is there ever really a perfect movie out there? Even going back and looking at like some of my all-time favorite movies of all time, I can find aspects of it that probably would make the movie a 4.7 out of five or 4.8 out of five, you know. So, yeah, it's fun to pre- it's fun to present our views and all of that, and definitely be able to pick apart the um, different aspects of what's good and what's great about movies. What we liked, what I liked, what you like, what Amanda likes, what Shanna likes, whatever you know, whoever comes on the show likes. Because at the end of the day, we're all mo- we're all movie fans, and we all have our own likes and dislikes, and that's the fun part about doing the show is it's fun to have those moments where like I may come in and do an episode and I may think something is hot garbage, but then say you come in and sit down and you explain this, that, and the other thing, kind of like we did last year with Halloween fucking ends. ends. Yeah. Where, I mean, where, my uh, opinion, my opinion slightly changed over time, but not too much. 
mine kind of sort of mellowed out and went the other direction as well. You know, I've had, I fully admit that I've had moments where I thought like ends was hot garbage. I've kind of sort of mellowed out on it a little bit. I still don't think it's great. I still think it's probably one of the worst aspects of that franchise, but I'm not as angry and bitter about it. You know, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, another one that I absolutely despise for a long time. But again, my opinion over time has mellowed out. I can see different aspects of why somebody might like it. It's still, it's not my cup of tea, but uh (laughs) So. (laughs) All right. So I think that just about covers it for the next generation. Indeed. For those of you who know the franchise, you can probably guess that next up, as far as we go into the state of Texas, um, it's probably going to be a look at a certain remake starring Jessica Biel. Back to the reboots. <laughs> so I'm kind of Chancy and I have discussed a little bit about the reboot, but I feel like this next time up, we're going to get a lot deeper into what's good and what's not good about this reboot and how it ranks out there with some of all the other amazing or not amazing reboots that are out there. Yeah. So, um, as always each and every week, we have to thank the listeners for being here. The dozens are fucking amazing and you guys are the reason why we do this show each and every week so thank you for being here um thank you to my guest mr chancy greif as well um would you like to remind the listeners where you can be found and what you guys are always up to yeah um on spotify and youtube and stuff like that it's uh maniacal music musings um you can find us on Facebook at the Uncensored, Untamed, and Unapologetic Network. Um, Some on, kind of combination of those three words. It may yeah, not be yeah, yeah. Order. It's it's a yeah it's hunt and peck. that thing hunt and peck. And then on uh, Instagram and on TikTok, it's uh, the Red Eye Roundtable, and uh, on X, it's uh, Red Eye Table. You can find me, yes, look me up. I'm a, uh, you know, I'm not too hard to find, but I'm not exactly easy to look for either. <laughs> you got to have a little bit of mystery in your life. Right. So with all of that said, really quick, I'm not going to go down a super long tirade, but I want to definitely shout out the members of the I Did Not Make These Rankings podcast network. If you guys are not listening to each of their shows, highly recommend you do it. Um, Masturbators, Crushgasm, Men of the Prize, Love is Black, The Simplest, Crime Rewind, Literature Reapers, and An Evening at the Movies. Check 
well, obviously, if you're listening to this, you're listening to an evening at the movie. So, but definitely make sure you stay listening to an evening at the movie. So, but check out all the other six shows as well. Great shows, great content each and every week. Also, um, when this episode releases, which will be on Wednesday, last night, there was our return trip to our draft episodes. And the audio for that will be dropping on Friday as well. So check that out. Um, coming up this month on an evening at the movies, though, we have um, next week, uh, Jamie Sparks and I will be discussing A League of Their Own. Uh, the week after that, which is Thanksgiving week, I will have Chris and his wife, Cassandra, on to discuss Galaxy Quest. And then we will close out the month of November with that one, returning back to the fold <laughs> to discuss uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre meets Psycho otherwise known as Motel Hell. So you have that to look forward to as well. And then we've got some holiday stuff coming up throughout the month of December, obviously. Um, and then stuff coming up in January. All leading up to the third anniversary as well as our 200th episode. So stay tuned, stay updated. You can find us on social media. Um, other than that, I don't think there's anything else. So I'll just close it out by saying thank you guys for being here, and we hope you guys come back next week, and we hope you guys come back for an evening at the movies. Have a good week, guys.